0: only
1: redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hello, and welcome to Fresh Take from What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're talking to Iris Chen. She's a recovering tiger mother and author of Untigering, Peaceful Parenting for the Deconstructing Tiger Parent. Iris is also the founder of the Untigering Movement, which emphasizes shifting away from parenting that is rooted in power, to parenting that is grounded in partnership. Iris spent over a decade living and raising her kids in China, but now resides with her husband and two sons in California. Welcome, Iris. Thank you for having me. So tell us a little bit about your story, because you're an American-born Chinese person who ended up with Chinese-born American kids. It's an interesting story. Yeah.
2: I was born here as a child of immigrants, the story of trying to achieve the American dream, you know, getting the education, growing up in suburbia and all that. And then after I got married, we were living in the Silicon Valley at that time. He was working as an engineer. And we decided we wanted to do something different. And so we uprooted ourselves. We went to China. We said we were going to give it a year. You know, we were still young. We're like wanting to have some adventure. We're going to give it a year, see how it goes. And then we ended up staying for 16. It had never been my intention to necessarily like raise a child, raise children or have a family overseas, but that's just what happened. And so my children were born and raised there and we just returned to the States in 2019. And yeah, it's been quite an adjustment, but it's been a good process for us.
0: So having had an experience yourself of an intersectional childhood with two different Traditions. We talked to Masha Rumor, who wrote the book Parenting with an Accent, about the intersectionality of being a Russian mom raising American kids. Talk a little bit about that. what that experience was for you, and then what that looked like as you began raising your children in China.
2: I think because I was living overseas in a culture that I wasn't totally familiar with, I really felt a lot more empathy for my parents who came to America as immigrants didn't fully understand the culture or language. My parents are from Hong Kong and Vietnam and came to the States to study. There's definitely that bicultural aspect that I grew up with where in our home, we mostly spoke Chinese, Cantonese specifically. Cantonese was my first language and it wasn't until I went to school that English became my first language. And so when I started having children in China, just Realizing how overwhelmed I was, I didn't know how to find resources. I didn't know the language that well. I didn't know what was available to me. And so I remember standing in front of their preschool and needing to read this parent memo in Chinese, needing to like look at each little character and, and like look up words on my dictionary and like take a a screenshot of it so that it could translate it for me, you know? And I was like, oh, this like adds such another layer to the parenting experience where I feel like I'm a newborn Mm -hmm. in this world. It really gave me a lot more understanding and empathy for what my parents had to overcome as immigrants here.
1: I'm curious, what was the biggest adjustment for your kids coming back to the United States in 2019 and experiencing childhood in the United States as outsiders? What was the biggest sort of culture shock for them, do you think?
2: You know, it's hard to say because we would thankfully be able to come back every summer. Oh, okay. And so they would spend like a good month or two here every summer. We spoke English at home, even though we lived in China. We were connected to a large foreign community in China so that many of their friends also spoke English or were from other parts of the world. It was a very international community. Another aspect of it was also that we are unschoolers, so we home educate. And so I think there was that consistent consistency where like our family rhythms were still very much the same. Like they were maybe twelve and ten at the time when we moved back. But if we had thrown them suddenly into middle school,
0: I think that would have been a really <laughs> big adjustment for them. Middle school is already really, really hard. I have middle schoolers. Yes. Yes. And I
2: remember moving and starting at a new school as an eighth grader in the middle. It was horrible. We were able to take the time that we needed to adjust and to find our way around. But then the pandemic hit. I still feel like we don't actually know, or they don't actually know what it means to live hmm. life in America in some ways, because... It's a good point. Yeah. Like everything was shut down. Like we weren't able to build relationships in the same way that we would have if the pandemic hadn't happened. So.
1: so you grew up in the United States, but you were being parented in a style that was a little bit differently. So you... Tell a funny story about going on awkward visits to my white friends' homes where their parents wanted me to call them by their first names. I'm like, oh, that's me. I'm so busted. You know, I'm like, I'm cool, mom. And uh, tell us a little bit about that, how your parents were raising you in a way that was sort of out of the main of the kids around you growing up in the States.
2: I don't know if you watch Turning Red, the Mm -hmm. Pixar movie. Yeah. Yeah. So it's sort of similar in that like the family culture is still very rooted in their home culture of, you know, Chinese Asian culture. There's, you know, a hierarchy, there's foods that you eat, there's language, there's ways that you communicate. And those are really different from the outside world in some ways. And so, like, my experience being at school and, you know, doing all that was really different than what I experienced at home. And so, probably similar to the character in the story, is like maybe outside in the school environment, I felt more free, I felt more myself. But in the home environment, I had to sort of play this role of the obedient Chinese daughter. And so there was definitely tension there. But I think as I've Grown and looking back, I want to celebrate all those parts of me. So it's not that I want to assimilate and then become white and aspire to be like that family or like that person because that's not me. Mm. There are such beautiful aspects of my culture. And I think part of it is like this internalized shame just for being different. Mm -hmm. So there was nothing actually wrong with the way my family was or my culture. It was just so different than what I saw that maybe I internalized some judgment and shame about that and wanted to, you know, separate myself from those things. So making sure that I didn't speak with an accent or being embarrassed when my parents did speak Mm. with an accent, like all of those things were yeah, just feelings that I know that I grew up with, but now having some perspective, so grateful and and so appreciative and so proud of my culture and my parents and the sacrifices that they made and the courage that they had to come to a new country and forge a new life for themselves and say that
0: we belong here. It's such a classic immigrant child experience that as a child, often what we want is to be just like everybody else and that you have this culture and foods and language that sort of sets you apart that journey from kind of rejecting or feeling almost some shame around those aspects of who you are. And then as you get older, really wanting to embrace those aspects and realizing the importance and the richness of that heritage. And that that's a journey that I think so many immigrant kids go through. That was definitely my journey. And I
2: think, you know, me moving to China, was part of that process too in in terms of just Recognizing the beauty in all these different cultures, I think is really a gift when we can go outside of our little bubble and outside of the cultures that we know and be exposed to other cultures and see there are other ways to think about this instead of just trying to fit ourselves into the dominant culture that we are a part of. I really am grateful that I had that experience of living in another culture, being a student of that other culture and learning how to appreciate yeah, things about my own culture that maybe I had rejected when I was younger.
1: We're talking to Iris Chen. She is the author of Untigering, and we're going to find out more about what Untigering is right after this. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. In reaction to the tiger mother, a term that I think was coined by Amy Chua in 2011 when she wrote her book, Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother, which most of us have heard of, can you tell us a little bit about what tiger mother or tiger parenting is? When I think of tiger parenting, I really think
2: of it as authoritarian, hierarchical, strict parenting, with a lot of rules, a lot of demands. And often with a big dose of really high academic expectations as well, um, expectations to perform well in school or in other areas. When Amy Chua wrote the book, she called it, quote unquote, Chinese parenting. You know, it's the type of parenting that she grew up with. But she also expanded it and said it doesn't it's not just exclusive to, you know, Chinese people, it is often, I think, more of an immigrant mindset. In fact, maybe like a lot of pressure to succeed, a lot of pressure to, to strive after success and to prove our worth
0: in this new society that we're a part of. Right. And reflecting something you said earlier, which is the idea that sacrifices are being made to give you a very specific Access to a new kind of life, and you are responsible for delivering on that promise.
2: Yes, absolutely. For many Asian immigrants, at least Chinese immigrants, the door to immigration was mostly open to the intellectuals All right. for a period of time. Like they were encouraged students to come, researchers to come to study in their universities. And so you're attracting a certain population, a certain demographic who is already, you know, high achieving, maybe the cream of the crop of their countries wanting to come and create a new life. And so, yeah, it's just maybe creates this assumption that like, oh, all Asians are like this, but that's not true. But maybe perhaps those that immigrate, like a large majority of those who immigrate have that type of energy, (laughs) that tiger parenting energy.
1: And what about Chinese parents in China who aren't immigrants? Do you think that that sort of tiger parenting, emphasizing achievement, from where I stand, that seems to me to be sort of baked into the Chinese culture? Is that true?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think in many ways it is, but, you know, like China is a country of, you know, billions of people. And so again, like the assumption that all Chinese people are good at math or whatever, that's just not true if you have, you know, millions of people that you're talking about. But there is a high emphasis on education. In order to get ahead in life, you needed to take the imperial exam so that you could become part of the bureaucracy, part of the, like, the advisor to the emperor. And so this test-taking, these exams, this academic achievement has always been a way to become upwardly mobile. There is that baked into the culture. But I also really see it as a trauma response. A lot of the ways that we parent Even if it seems like it's part of our culture are because there's like generations of trauma that haven't been addressed. And so people are just acting out of their fears, out of their anxieties, out of their wounds. And so when I think of tiger parenting, I really feel like it's fear based. People are not really seen as human beings. They're just seen as commodities or as like workers in China because of the population, because there is such a sense of competition. They feel like they have to push their kids. If they don't, their kids are going to fall through the cracks and they can't make a living. They can't survive. You need to keep up and you need to be the best of the best. Otherwise, the kid next door is going to take that job. You know, Right, right. There's only so many spots. Yeah. That scarcity mindset, that Mm -hmm. competition. And so I feel a lot of compassion for that mindset. It's not just like, well, stop doing that. It's just the way the society is set up. Even for us in the States, we don't have safety nets in a lot of ways. And so we feel like we need to look out for ourselves. We need to take care of our business and make sure that it can succeed so that they don't fall through the cracks. It's not just like we need to change our attitudes and the way we relate to our kids, but also social ways that we can, you know, create change so that there is more safety and more support in our communities and in our societies.
0: When the Battle Hymn of Tiger Mother came out, it really tapped into this thing that I think a lot of moms look for in parenting books, which is you can have a kid who goes to Harvard and becomes a doctor and plays concert piano and eats everything they're served. So there were a lot of quote-unquote positives that were projected from that story and that mindset. But you outline some of the harms that you see as coming from tiger parenting. So can you walk us through some of those? Ultimately, like for me, when it comes
2: down to it, our child wants to know that they are loved, unconditionally loved. And I think what Tiger parenting can do is it communicates to our child that they are only loved, worthy, accepted, affirmed, if they achieve, if they are the best, if they perform well among a lot of asian american youth there's a lot of mental health issues because of this pressure that they feel to put on this face to perform to overachieve to be that model minority whatever it is at this pressure and there isn't a sense of i am unconditionally loved i am worthy I can be vulnerable. I can make mistakes. I can have feelings. I can struggle. There isn't the freedom to be human. When you talk about the tiger parent or the tiger cub, it's like, oh, they're sort of superhuman. They are high achievers. They excel. They go to the best schools. They get the best jobs, blah, blah, blah. How do they actually feel about themselves inside? And are they struggling? Or do they feel like they can't even show that they're struggling? Part of untigering for me is how can I allow myself to be fully human? How can I allow my child allow is a weird word, but how can I make space for my child to be fully human too? So that it's not all about their performance or their behavior or all the surface stuff, what's going on on the outside if they were a B student or if they went to the community college, would I still love them? Would I still care for them? Would I still support them? Would I still be proud of them? And I hope that they would know that I do. But that's not often the message that is communicated when we overemphasize academics or overemphasize these achievements.
1: Can you tell us about the turning point in your own parenting journey where you decided like, hmm, I think I might need to kind of turn this around and move from tigering to untigering. How did that happen for you?
2: It was definitely a process. But one story that I keep on telling, because it was very much like an aha moment, a turning point for me was when I went to a parenting workshop, the speaker was talking about brain science and about brain development, and showed us pictures of brain scans, the brain of a child who is dysregulated, and how it's all lit up, is overstimulated, it's going haywire. And then a picture of a brain scan where the child was calm and able to regulate. And then just explaining how when we react to our child with anger, with yelling, with more demands, with punishment, their brain goes even more haywire. It's like they are unable to calm down. But if we are able to regulate with them, just Help calm their bodies and brains down, then they are so much more able to learn and listen, think more rationally, develop those skills. That was really important for me to learn because I think I had been really viewing their behavior from a very judgmental perspective, where it's just like I was just deciding whether or not this behavior was good or bad. And if it was bad, then they got punished. And I wasn't really recognizing what was going on underneath in their bodies, Mm -hmm. in their brains. And so this just gave me so much more compassion to realize that my children needed my help. (laughs) They needed my help to calm down. They didn't need me to discipline them, quote unquote, through my consequences or punishments or whatever it was. They really, at least first, needed me to help calm them down and to be a presence Instead of to be something that they feared. I realized that I had a lot of strategies that needed to go. I needed to stop doing. And then from that point, I think that like snowballed into me, me always questioning like, well, why am I doing it this way? Is this really helping and supporting my child? The more I asked that question, the more I had to throw out, the more I had to (laughs) like untiger in that way, because realizing that a lot of my strategies were based on power and control, like you had mentioned in the beginning, that untigering is about like shifting away from using power where I, as an adult, feel like I can impose rules or control my children in certain ways. But that type of relationship never feels good, right? Like if we're in any type of relationship where somebody else holds all the power and forces us, coerces us to do things, that's never feels good, right? And so how to learn to be more in partnership with my child, again, to see them as a full human being and how to negotiate all our different needs as partners in that relationship.
0: I wanna dig a little bit more into what this peaceful parenting and untigering looks like after this break, we're talking to Irish Chen. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is
1: while Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to Hero.co and use the code MOTHERHOOD at checkout. I like
0: this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O oco C-O and code MOTHERHOOD for 10% off your order of Hero Bread.
3: Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Bree, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it
0: So we have established the problems with tigering. We understand what's not working there. This pivot for you towards peaceful parenting, what does that look like? What is peaceful parenting? What are the basics of it?
2: There are a lot of different terms that people use. They call it respectful parenting, conscious parenting, mindful parenting, positive parenting. The reason why I used peaceful is because I think of it as like peacemaking. It's not like a static, peaceful. We're all like, ah, you know. (laughs)
1: Darn, it's not.
0: 24 (laughs) hour a day zen, just like, ah, we're all in harmony all the time. Right. No, definitely not that. (laughs) Again,
2: that's not embracing our full humanity, right? We're messy people, messy, complicated people. When I think of peaceful parenting, I think of making peace. We consciously are just respecting each other, again, as full human beings, and how can we learn to live in harmony with each other. So that means that I have needs too, as a parent. So it's not just like, bending over backwards for my children all the time. That doesn't create peace for me. (laughs) Like my child might be happy, but I'm resentful and I'm burnt out. So
0: that's not peaceful parenting. That's a piece that we miss all the time. I feel like is like, oh, parenting is all about your child. And it's really not. It's about you and how you function in relation to your child.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So then how can we be in a relationship where every member of the family feels a sense of peace, and that doesn't mean you're always happy, that you don't have to compromise, but that's what relationships are, you know, where there is more of a balance of power, there is respect for each other's autonomy, respect for each other's wishes, communication about our needs and our boundaries, consent, where we don't rely on rules. With a relationship with a partner, you wouldn't necessarily say, I have rules for my partner. (laughs) There are agreements, there are understandings, there's like some principles, but you wouldn't give them a time out, hopefully, (laughs) if they displeased you in some way.
0: (laughs) You might be tempted to
2: sometimes, but you probably wouldn't. (laughs) Yes. But hopefully, you know, we would communicate. There'd be talks about it, there'd be problem solving in it. So that's what I think of when I think of peaceful parenting is like you're in a relationship, you respect and care and love one another and everybody's needs matter. You work on win-win solutions And there's just a lot of love and trust. So it's not based on these like rigid, okay, if you do this for me, then you do that. If you do this, then you get that. I don't feel like that's relational. That's very much transactional. And so how can we move away from that type of thinking with our children and really be more relational with them?
1: You uh, said something before that I wanted to go back to that in fact, sort of untigering is two-pronged because you have to detox from the, Yelling and the maybe some of the authoritarian things you're doing with your kids. But to get there, you have to detox from the way that you may have been parented, which is probably where you learned all this stuff in the first place.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think. For all of us who have been doing this work, we realize that most of the work is reparenting ourselves. This is, yeah, just something that we talk a lot about in the parenting circles is the reparenting of ourselves because oftentimes the way that we are parenting our children is out of a childhood wound or a childhood trigger where we're like, we didn't feel like we were in control as children. And now that we're adults- we feel like we should have control. (laughs) Ah. And our child should just get in line, you know, fall in line and listen and obey because that's what children do. That's what I did. And now it's your turn to do it. Or there's like reactions that we have, anger that we have when our child spills their juice or whatever. So what is it about that experience that is causing this Anger instead of just like, oh, it's okay. You know, let's just clean it up. Like, what is it bringing up for us? Maybe we were punished when we were younger for making mistakes. So it wasn't safe to make mistakes. And we're just continuing those patterns. So much of it is, yeah, for us as parents to begin to process and to dig deeper into what our triggers are, what our wounds are. Like, how can we reparent ourselves in love and safety so that we feel more calm and able to parent our children in love and safety?
0: And that's something we've talked about both with uh, immigrant parents and parents who dealt with ACEs childhoods, adverse childhood experiences. And that is something that I think we also skip as moms sometimes. We have to actually take some time with ourselves. Whether we had a difficult childhood, a childhood in whatever way we're not trying to replicate, we have to find that peacefulness in ourselves before we can offer it to our kids. I think it's something that I've really thought much more about in talking to people for this podcast.
2: Sometimes when we think about like parenting, we still think of it as behavior management. We still think about like, okay, how can I get my child to do this or that? And so much of it is actually about ourselves, about processing and healing for ourselves. And yeah, so to take the time to reflect on our own experiences and even our parents' experiences, because that gives us so much more insight to know, like, why did they parent us the way they did? You know, what traumas, what adverse childhood experiences did they go through? And for many immigrant parents, they went through so much, you know, just that generation of what was happening in the world at that time, in their home countries, there was war, there was famine, there was death and destruction, like so many things that many of us now cannot imagine. Just to give us some perspective of why they parented us in the way they did. And that doesn't make it okay, but that can give us more empathy, more understanding. Yeah, just more compassion. And same with ourselves. You know, I know I'm not supposed to yell, but why am I yelling? <laughs> what, what's going on with me? What is this bringing up for me? taking the time to really be compassionate to that inner child. You're feeling overwhelmed right now and you feel like a failure because things aren't happening the way you want them to happen. And that's okay. You're still safe when you make mistakes, speaking to our inner child with a lot of compassion. I think that has been a big part of
1: my journey. Iris, tell us about your Untigering parent group. I guess a part of this
2: journey that I haven't specifically talked about is the fact that I am Asian American. And I really wanted to write this book from an Asian American perspective, because there are so many resources out there, written by white people. And I've learned so much from them. But It just lacks a particular, you know, intersectional cultural context that felt relevant for me, especially since many who have a similar background as I do, feel like it's so foreign, you know, these types of parenting principles, there aren't relevant cultural models of that that we see around us. And there's a lot of trauma, there's a lot of cultural barriers, because our social norms are so different. And so how can we still embrace these principles and recognize the challenges, recognize just the blessings of our own culture too, and to integrate that in how we parent peacefully as Asian Americans or as other people who can relate to this background. The untiring Parent group that I have is on Facebook is open to anybody, but I do center the experiences of the Asian diaspora just so that we can ask questions that are very specific to our experience and to know that other people in the group understand what we're going through. You know, whether it's talking about boundaries with parents or negotiating like, okay, the grandparents have a certain way of caring for our children that's different from us. Those are very culturally nuanced. And so that is the safe space for that. But I also have a private group membership where we meet twice a month and just have community support one another in this process. In that space, I also try to center Asian American experiences. That's a really intimate group of us where we can just support one another in this journey.
0: And how do people find you on Facebook? You can just find me at Untigering
2: and Untigering Parents is the Facebook group if you want to join that. And I'm also on Instagram at Untigering as well.
1: I'll put a link to all of that in the show notes, as well as a link to Iris's book, Untigering, which is really terrific. Iris, this has been a great conversation. Thanks for talking to us today. Thank you so much. Thanks.